Hi, this is Ed Fitzpatrick. If you enjoy local politics as much as I do, be sure to join our friends at Rhode Island PBS for the show A Lively Experiment. Hosted by Jim Hummel, the weekly series features journalists, pundits, and politicians debating the stories and issues that matter most to us Rhode Islanders. Tune in to A Lively Experiment and be part of the conversation. Fridays at 7 p.m. on Rhode Island PBS and wherever you get your podcasts. From the Boston Globe, this is Rhode Island Report. I'm Ed Fitzpatrick. Welcome back to the podcast where we bring you big conversations from our very small state. Rhode Islanders went to the polls yesterday in a special election in the 1st Congressional District, and they decided some local issues as well. What do the results tell us? I'm joined by our own Steph Machado and Jim Hummel, the host of A Lively Experiment on Rhode Island PBS, our conversation after a quick break. When you want to go beyond the headlines, let me recommend Rhode Island PBS Weekly. Rhode Island PBS Weekly is an award-winning news magazine broadcast that gives you the full story, powered by investigative journalism and narrative storytelling. New episodes of Rhode Island PBS Weekly drop Sundays at 7.30 p.m. on Rhode Island PBS. Watch past episodes at ripbs.org weekly. That's ripbs.org weekly. Welcome back. I'm here with Jim Hummel, host of A Lively Experiment on Rhode Island PBS, and my colleague, Steph Machado. Thanks for joining me bright and early after election night. Nice to see you, Ed. Hi, Ed. Steph, bring us up to speed. What happened in the first congressional district race between Gabe Amo, the Democrat, and Gary Leonard, the Republican? Well, no surprises here, Ed. Democrat Gabe Amo easily won the election last night with 65% of the vote to 35% for Republican Gary Leonard. It's a left-leaning district, and David Cicilline was widely expected to be succeeded by another Democrat. Jim, are you surprised by the results at all there? I'm not, although it's got to be disheartening for Mr. Leonard because, as we know, uh, Ed, we've covered a lot of elections, and Steph, more recently, you sign your name to the ballot, you be- you generally get 30 to 35%. There was a plumber named Steve Cabral from Portsmouth years oh, yeah, ago yeah, who yeah. ran in CD1. There was actually a guy who legally changed his name to Santa Claus who was on the ballot, and I think he gained a little bit of uh, buzz because of that. But, How did I Santa mean, do it? Uh, right. Santa did great. I mean, Santa got at least 30%. So, I mean, to come in at 35%, I, it's got to be disheartening for Mr. Leonard because I think he, I think he's a, uh, I think he's a pretty good guy, and he seemed to be all over the place. Didn't have as much money as as Gabe Amo to be able to advertise, but like Steph said, probably exactly as the script we expected. Mm-hmm. Yeah, tell us about the makeup of that district, Steph. It's you know, even though a lot of the people are registered independents, it is much more left leaning than the second congressional district, which is why that race was so heavily watched nationally. Last last year because people thought Republicans 
could flip that seat. Uh, no one thought that the first congressional district seat was going to be flipped. It was safely blue. Um, it's a heavily Democratic district. And of course, there are Republicans and Republican-leaning independents, but it is a liberal district. Gabe Amo lost Woonsocket, Smithfield, and North Smithfield. Probably not a surprise. A little bit more conservative there. And he lost three in the primary, but that was more that Aaron Regenberg had taken it from the left side. This yeah. was more of the conservative districts coming out. Otherwise, Amo cruised when, in when every Socket, other. I thought was interesting because, I mean, they obviously have a Democratic mayor and they they did vote for David Cicilline last year. So they're more conservative. It wasn't a total surprise that they went for Leonard, but I was more surprised by Socket than I was by Smithfield and North Smithfield. Yeah, Leonard won those three towns, but in Providence, Steph, tell us about how Amo did. Yeah. 90% of Providence That's stunning. 90%. in CD1 voted for Gabe Amo. Was Gary's name not on the ballot? It, it was not. not I, voted in, I voted in Providence on Tuesday, so I can confirm that both names were on the ballot. Yeah, just a, a massive landslide in Providence for Amo. He does live there. He's from Pawtucket originally. I did look back at like midnight last night and David Cicilline never got 90% in Providence and yeah, he was yeah. the mayor there and, and all of that. His first race, he got 69% and I think the highest he got was 88% in Providence. So he got up there, but but 90% yeah. was really a landslide for Amo in Providence. Yeah, what does that tell you? I mean, are we sorting ourselves into red and blue realms or urban rural districts? Yeah, I think to an extent. Obviously, the urban core in Rhode Island, although, you know, I would count Woonsocket as part of the urban core and, and they went for Leonard, so I don't think it's that simple. But cities like Providence and Pawtucket and a lot of, I mean, a lot of the East Bay is getting more and more liberal. The Blackstone Valley and some of the more rural towns remain conservative. You know, with so many voters in Providence, how does the Republican Party going forward succeed if you got 90% of the capital city voting for the Democrat? Well, I think the problem is they have the big brick of the National Republican Party around their neck, and you can't divorce that. So 20, 30 years ago, we've had Republican governors. We had a Republican attorney general, Jeff Pine. Link Ahmed and, and Don Kachiri ruled the state house for 16 years, but they're not the Republicans of today. I think Gabe Amo was also more attractive. We talked about this after the primary because he's not progressive. He's right in no. the middle of the road, so you can bring in some of those old, maybe chafy Republicans to vote. And, and, and I don't think Gary Leonard reflected absolutely the, the, the National Party, although I must tell you, he didn't do himself any favors in one of those debates where he said, I don't favor a restriction on any firearms of any type at all, right after the main shooting. So that may be what he believes. But that's not going to go over well in Rhode Island. And did Leonard get any support from the National Republican Party? I mean, I, I saw they were still putting out messages about Magaziner last year's congressional race. I didn't see it. I mean, there may have been some stuff that we'll find out on campaign finance reports. You would have seen that in television and more media because they would have done huge buys. And I didn't see it. It wasn't like last year where the National Republicans spent a ton of money for Alan Fung on, in CD2. Millions of dollars. Who still lost – it was not worth it for them to put a ton of resources into this race. So, Steph, talk to us about the historical significance of Amo's victory. Yeah, Amo is the uh, first person of color to represent Rhode Island in Congress, the first black person. Um, and that's huge. You know, we're seeing elected officials in Rhode Island start to reflect 
the diverse population more and more. And I think it started at the local level, at the state level. You know, there's there's now a bench of diverse candidates that when these congressional seats, when these higher office seats become available, I mean, look at the primary that AMA won. It was incredibly diverse. There were yeah, so many options. Seven of the 12 Women, were... Latino candidates, black candidates. And so it's hugely significant. We had an all-white congressional delegation for all of time. And uh, now our first person of color. And I also think this sets him up well for next year because if it had been Aaron Regenberg or Sabina Matos who had won, I think the campaigning would have begun tomorrow for the seat. So I think yeah. – I'm not saying definitely it's safe for, Reg- definitely Regenberg. for Regenberg. I'm not saying it's a safe seat. But, it, you know, you got to think long and hard if you're a Democrat because all of the establishment – rallied behind Gabe Amo, and probably he'll be standing there at all the press conferences that we see on Mondays and Fridays in Rhode Island when the congressional district is home. And what Republican are they going to put up next year? Yeah, he's got a race again next year. Do you see anybody entering a primary against Amo? Not the day after the election, but, you know, we'll see. You never know who's going to come out of left field. The problem with the Republicans is they haven't had a strong candidate. You know, Bob Flanders ran a few years ago, but the bench is very, very short. If you're looking as a Republican to get into the race, you got to look at realistically, what are my chances? What support am I going to get locally and nationally? And and then the demographics of the district. So I don't know. Steph, what do you think the future looks like for Amo's political career? I mean, I think if he wants to be, he could be in Congress for decades. He's young. He's a moderate Democrat, so he appeals to a wide swath of voters. Um, I don't see him getting primaried next year in any serious way. Like like Jim said, like maybe we would have seen if Aaron Regenberg had run the ra- had won the race. And who knows? You know, I don't know if he'll run for higher office, governor someday. I mean, I I think the sky's the limit. For him, obviously, depending on his performance, we're just, you know, prognosticating here. But I think he has a bright future. But he's also going to be hidden in Congress the first year or two. I mean, what's his service? I mean, mean, it gets the constituent service, but that's not very sexy. The reality is, especially in the minority party, he's not going to have anything major passed. He just has to keep his head down and not make any huge blunders. Well, couldn't he have a significant vote coming up as soon as he gets sworn in? Yes. I mean, he potentially is going to get sworn in as soon as next week and there's going to be a government shutdown vote. Yeah, yeah. Tell us what the Board of Elections did at its meeting yesterday. Yeah, so the Board of Elections, when they were discussing their sort of timetable for certifying the elections, actually is taking into account the fact that the government shutdown vote could take place on November 17th. And so they are trying to certify the election on November 15th so that Amo can, I guess, rush down to D.C. and get sworn in and take part in that vote, which I think is really interesting that they took what's going on in Congress into account. I also heard the Secretary of State in a radio interview yesterday say, if it's not close and clearly a 30-point yeah, victory Yeah, we're not having not, a recount here. You can, get, you can kind of do provisional results and get him sworn in mm. even faster. And I saw him in some of the interviews last night. Gabe Amo was like, well, you know, I'll go when they tell me. <laughs> I'm not sure <laughs> yeah, what it's exactly. going to be, but I'll be ready. <laughs> the bag is packed. And Steph, you mentioned that Amo was young. How old is he? And tell us about the age of our congressional delegation now. Yeah, I mean, we now have two millennials representing Rhode Island after the resignation of Jim Langevin, who was replaced by Seth Magaziner, who is 40. Gabe Amo is 35, obviously replaced David Cicilline. And so I did the math. 
And in 20... 20- you can do math. You're a journalist. Come on. I'm multi-skilled. Last year, the average age of a Rhode Island congressman, including, of course, the, our two senators, was 65. After AMA was sworn in, the average age goes down to 54. Huh. So a younger generation representing Rhode Island in Congress. Of course, we have two baby boomers in, in Jack Reed and Sheldon Whitehouse in the Senate. But it's a big change to have younger people in Congress. And it's because incumbency wins the day and people tend to stay in Congress for a long time. So to have we had two open seats in two years in a row. Well, talking about that, Jim, like to go back a couple of years, would anyone have predicted that both Jim Langevin and David Cicilline would voluntarily leave the congressional seats? Well, nobody. And two years ago, we were talking about losing a congressional seat. So you remember the buzz was, who's going to, are they, is somebody going to bow out? Are they going to run against each other? And then through some wizardry, we wound up keeping the seat by 8,000 votes or whatever it was. So Mm -hmm. no, none of us contemplated this because you're right. They are usually lifetime seats. The only aberration to that was Link Chafee. After he served his first term, Sheldon Whitehouse ran against him. And again, it goes back to what we talked about, the national politics. There were a lot of people. Link Chafee had a 60-plus approval rating, but Whitehouse beat him because Chafee had an R next to mm-hmm. his name. And people in Rhode Island said a vote for Chafee could potentially swing the Senate. And so I think that was an aberration. But otherwise, Claiborne Pell served for how long? Jack Reed will eventually be in 30 years. Sheldon mm-hmm. Whitehouse can go probably as long as he wants. Fernand St. Germain was in for three decades. So they don't turn over quickly. Yep. Yep. Steph, tell us what happened in the Senate District 1 race last night. Yes, this was a state Senate seat in Providence that was vacant, sadly, because Majority Whip Mary Ellen Goodwin died earlier this year. Democrat Jake Basilian won the seat last night easily. He's the Senate chief of staff, so he'll have to resign from that job to become a senator. He beat a Republican, Neoka Powell, but again, in Providence, the primary is the election. Um, it wasn't close. It, it right? wasn't close. Um, it you know Republicans have a really tough time getting elected in Providence. Jim, what happened with all those votes on school bonds last well, night? Well, this is the sexy part that we get to, Ed. I'm sorry you, you didn't lead off with the bond issues. Actually, there was a little bo- drama. You know, we always say, when do bond issues This was ever- the most exciting bond election ever. I was ever. glued to my lap. <laughs> Top last oh, what night. What was I saying in the newsroom last night? And I was like, this is crazy. Look yeah. at this turnout crazy. in North Well, Kingstown. so look, for the most part, they, they passed. Uh, but in North Kingstown, there was a there was a rallying cry from the opposition. I think part of it was they split school and public safety complex, and there was a recreation. You mean they combined? Center. They combined it. They I'm combined sorry. The they did, that's and right. The police they combined station. it. And they so combined. it all got lumped into this morass of what are we doing? Middletown came close to losing because there were opponents down there about what are we talking about? You know, what is this specifically going to be for? And it only passed by two percentage points in Middletown. The rest went through. Yeah, the Board of Elections was sending more ballots to Middletown. That's how hot the issue was down in Middletown. And But, I mean, the turnout in North Kingstown was huge, it right? It was crazy. More than 7,500 voters, more people than voted in the city of Providence yesterday. And North Kingstown And is, nothing else. They're yes, in CD2, they had so no, they had no other reason to go to the polls. There were no humans on the ballot. It was, it was, they're not in the congressional district. The only thing on the ballot were, the two, were these two two bond questions. 
and it drove really high turnout, more than 32% in a special election year, is wild. And I mean, people people are motivated. The inverse of that is my town, Barrington, where they are asking for $250 million. The average homeowner is going to face a $1,000 increase on an already pretty hefty tax bill. And you know what it is? The parents got motivated and they came out because they said, if one of the reasons we moved to the town is for good people schools. Go, yeah, yeah. And that, so schools. it really yeah. shows you that people, you think that people are checked out. People are tuned in locally yep. to what's going They're on. They're paying in their attention to the plant. And Barrington, they're facing a capacity issue, is my understanding. Their kids are moving there faster than they can yeah. fit them into the school. And so very motivated parents and, and they there. came it was even without a specific plan. They've come up with some options, but right, right. you know, the, the sort of Damocles hanging over everybody's head is is that this state reimbursement is going to be sunsetting the enhanced reimbursement. Right, it's right. always been there, but in some cases it's up to fifty percent. I did an article a couple of weeks ago about Warwick, that they passed a bill a year ago, and now rising interest rates, rising construction costs. So are you really going to get, for for that amount you paid, when it actually goes, are you going to be able to get what was promised to voters? Yeah, what are they going to do? Are they going to have to vote again in Warwick? Well, that's what some of the opponents down there say they should vote again. What they do is they have this great euphemism called value engineering. You know what that means? Cutting things out. Cut, cut, cut. So there goes the gym, there goes the air conditioning. Some of the opponents down there have said, look, we voted for this and now it's changing. Shouldn't we get another bite at the apple? And I think that's what some of the communities who pass these bond issues, when they go out a year from now and construction costs are still high and interest rates haven't come down, I think there are going to be some tough decisions to be made. And I think that with the interest rates, I mean, this was there was more than a billion dollars worth of borrowing on this ballot, which normally these bonds pass so easily. It's a foregone conclusion. But the interest rates are so high. But the money was cheap for so many years. Yep. Yep. And that's what I'm saying is that this year we saw three different bonds get voted down. And I think the taxpayers are starting to look at these interest rates and saying this is just too much money. Hey, $250 million isn't what it used to be. <laughs> Exactly, that's true too. Pretty soon you have real money. What was the other bond that got shot down last night? Well, there was two that got shot down in North Kingstown, and I do feel bad for the pickleballers because I think that just lost on the coattails of (laughs) the the school. That's actually the headline. All those people who won't get injured playing pickleball. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then North Smithfield um, shot down a bond to build a new police station. You know, you say, why would they do that? There's, you know, it's all local, and there were some things going on that the rest of us don't see, but the yeah, people in North yeah. Smithfield were paying attention. You're saying all politics is local? You know, mm-hmm. I, did somebody say that at some point? I, I think, think I've, heard, I think I've, I've heard, heard that, that somewhere. Steph, finally, how was the overall turnout yesterday? You know, it wasn't bad for a special election, around 20%. Of course, it would be great if all the registered voters went to the polls, but that never happens. So I think, you know, it was a nice day outside. Turnout was decent for a special election that, by the way, did not have, you know, not every town even had an election. But yesterday. I think the bond issues helped boost that. Yeah. Because I think there were some people who thought, and you know, I also wondered with Gabe Amo, kind of bringing it around to what we had talked about initially, whether some people were going to do what the Democrats did with Hillary Clinton in 2016. Not that they're similar candidates, but like, he's got this in the bag. Mm -hmm. I don't need to go vote for him. And that it would have been a little bit closer. So I thought the numbers would be down a little bit. So I think 20% is pretty good for a special election. Isn't that sad? 20% sounds great. I know. That's what I'm like. I'm like, turnout was great, but it's it's, it's not great that only 20% of people went to vote. But that's, you know, if we're comparing it to prior years, turnout was not disappointing. Steph, Jim, thank you for joining me today. Thanks, Ed. Thanks, Ed. 
For more election coverage, go to globe.com slash Rhode Island. That's globe.com slash Rhode Island. Rhode Island Report is a production of the Boston Globe in collaboration with Rhode Island PBS. Today's episode was produced by Megan Hall with help from Carlos Munoz and Scott Hellman. Audio mixing and mastering by Marissa Ewing of Hemlock Creek Productions. Our music is from APM. Be sure to follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen. I'm Ed Fitzpatrick. See you next week. Looking to binge watch all your favorite PBS shows? You need Rhode Island PBS Passport, Masterpiece, Antiques Roadshow, Rhode Island PBS Weekly, and many more. Watch them all, anytime, and from any streaming device. Learn more about this member benefit at ripbs.org passport. That's ripbs.org passport.